are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and today I'm actually joined by the entire Australian economics team for a good podcast on the 2024 Australian Economic Outlooks. I've got Gareth Ed, the Head of Australian Economics. Gareth, good to have you on. G'day, it's nice to be here. And I've also got Stephen Wu and Harry Otley from our team, uh, both economists. Steve, Harry, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Belinda. So we are going to dive into the Australian economic outlook for 2024. So we're going to cover what we're expecting for GDP, inflation, wages, housing construction, home prices, investment and the RBA. So a lot to get through. Gareth, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Before we get into the 2024 outlook, 2023, I feel was really a tale of two halves. The first half Even the first nine months, we saw quite a bit of resilience in the economy driven by still reasonable household consumption, strong population growth. But kind of towards the tail end of 2023, we did start to see signs of a slowdown building. Yeah, look, that's right. I mean, if we look at 2023, what what we see as a whole is that the level of activity uh, was pretty firm. And something like the unemployment rate, for example, was still very low in a historical context. But if we look at the direction of travel in the economy over the course of the year, the, the data suggests that things did slow through the course of this year, and particularly over the second half of the year, as you point out. I mean, if we look at the profile, the quarterly change in GDP, for example, uh, over the three quarters of last year that we have data for, we had an increase in 0.5% or 0.5% in the March quarter, followed by 0.4% in the June quarter, and then just 0.2% in the September quarter. And we got that data, obviously, in early... Uh, early December. And I think it was that data really in the national accounts that did pick up the slowdown that we'd been expecting for for some time to come through in the data. And the partial data so far that we've got for Q4 uh, suggests that that softness continued through the back end of last year. So from a levels perspective, still reasonable activity through last year, but the direction of travel is clearly picking up one of the slowing economy. And that's no big surprise. I mean, we had been expecting a slowdown. The Reserve Bank's put through a material tightening in terms of interest rates. Uh, The cash rate now sits at 4.35%, which is the peak, but we'll talk about Mm -hmm. uh, that later. As we look into 2024, we are expecting the Australian economy to continue to slow, very much driven by the consumer under the weight of that material lift in interest rates. I think the question kind of everyone's lips at the moment is how how big is the slowdown and how long is it going to last? Well, it's a good question and it depends if you look at it in aggregate or on a per capita basis. Um, What the economic data showed us last year was that the economy on a per capita basis was actually slowing quite materially Mm. and household consumption uh, was falling through the year on a per person basis. So uh, what the data was telling us that the average household out there was actually consuming less over the course of the year in a volume sense, uh, and the aggregates were essentially um, propped up by population growth. Um, As we go through this year, the trend in terms of weakness in consumer spending growth looks pretty entrenched. Um, 
you know, we think we think we're looking at small positives uh, in an aggregate perspective in terms of growth in the volume of consumption. With the risk here that we get a flat or negative outcome in any uh, individual quarter, particularly uh, over the first half of this year, um, households are being hit uh, not just by higher mortgage rates, but they're also being impacted by uh, higher taxes due to bracket creep. Mm. And there's no obvious circuit breaker there until 1 July when tax cuts are going to come in in, in some shape or form. Um, a lot of households out there are, are being hit by higher rents and then more generally all households have been impacted by higher inflation. So there's been quite a drain on real household income. Uh, it's been deeply negative and that's weighed on consumer spending. So if we think about what's likely to happen in the first six months of this year, we're expecting pretty weak outcomes and it'll, it'll most likely take uh, some rate relief coupled with some tax cuts to see activity pick up over the back end of this year. You've stolen one of my questions for later, but I'm, go- I'm going to ask go. you about the tail end of 2024 very shortly. Uh, a lot has been made of excess savings by the household sector in Australia. I mean, we have talked about this uh, quite frequently over the course of 2023. Are, are households drawing down on that savings and can that help, I guess, limit the downturn in the consumer? Yeah, look, it's a question that comes up a lot with our clients um, because it was well documented that households saved a lot uh, mm. during the pandemic. And most estimates out there are, are for a, that there was a build-up of around $300 billion in excess savings. That's pretty much the figure that we've calculated as well. And the obvious question that we get is, where did that money go or what has actually happened to it? Um, and we, we've had an attempt at working out where that flow of money, what's been happening with it over the past 18 months or so. And we've kind of calculated that of that $300 billion, around five, uh, around $50 billion has actually already been drawn down in terms of spending above uh, what you'd normally get mm. relative to what's been happening with income. And that's um, reflected in a below average savings rate. Then we've also calculated that uh, around $120, $130 billion is sitting in offset and redraw facilities. Now, for, for those households, um, we view that basically as them getting ahead on their mortgage repayments or having some money sitting there for a rainy day, but not actually a windfall pile of cash that they will use to fund consumption as we go through this year, unless they get into trouble. And there's no precedent for households ever actually drawing down mm-hmm. on money sitting in redraw and offset accounts. And if we look at what's been happening in redraw and offset accounts over the last 18 months, they haven't actually gone down. So there's no evidence that suggests that the household sector as a collective is actually drawing down on those savings in the offset and redraw facilities. And we think that remains the case as we go through this year. So that leaves um, about a bit over $100 billion. Mm. Um, And based on our forecast for pretty weak household consumption this year and our forecast for income, uh, we still end up with a low savings rate. Um, and so if you've got a below average savings rate, you're implying some drawdown there in excess savings. So on our forecast profile, by the time we get to about the end of the this year, uh, those excess, excess savings, ex redrawn offset facilities should have been fully withdrawn. So first half of 2024, slow, really driven by the consumer. Uh, we're going to talk about inflation in detail soon uh, with... Steve, so what role does the RBA play in terms of the economic outlook for 2024? We've got the RBA on hold Mm. for the first half, nine months of of the year. 
do we start to see the economy turn around once those RBA cuts come through? Look, when the RBA finally gets around to cutting the cash rate, we will get a pick-up in activity, albeit with a lag. Um, but our thinking at the moment is that the Reserve Bank is done in mm. terms of uh, rate increases. The market is very much on board with that idea. There's nothing now priced for a, for a further increase. Um, there's still a, a small risk that we get an inflation figure for Q4, which we're not anticipating. But um, assuming that risk doesn't materialise, the RBA uh, should be done in terms of rate increases. But we've was probably still a, a bit away, though, from them actually cutting mm. the cash rate, given inflation is still uh, quite a bit above their target. And even though the economic data is softening, uh, the central bank will need to be convinced that inflation will get back to target before they're willing to cut the cash rate. So we've got a September uh, call out there for the first uh, reduction in the cash rate. And we would say that the risks are pretty evenly balanced. You can make a case that they could go before September based on the fact that the economic data, particularly around um, consumption, is coming in weaker than they're anticipating. And uh, if the unemployment rate's rising uh, at a, in a way that makes the central bank feel a little bit uncomfortable, they might want to go earlier. And by the same token, um, if, the, if, the, if the Reserve Bank thinks that the overall level of activity is still uh, reasonably decent and they want to make sure that uh, it's job done on the inflation front, they, they may wait a little bit longer. So that September view is almost a, a call out there that takes into account the balance of risks. Um, but if we're right, then we should be getting some rate cuts later on this year. And in terms of the rate cut profile, we have that first rate cut in our forecast in September, but how large are we talking? How large a rate cut over the forecast horizon? Well, provided the RBA hasn't left it too late mm. to, uh, to to cut. We don't get some sort of external shock. It should be uh, something of a normal easing cycle, if you like. Um, now, they are meeting every six weeks this year as opposed to the 11 meetings per year, so the, the meeting schedule is a little bit less frequent. Uh, but our profile is basically that once they get an easing cycle underway, they deliver something in the range of about 150 basis points of cuts over around about a 12-month period. That would see the cash rate uh, down to 2.85% from where it is right now at 4.35%. And that's getting to a, a more normal or neutral level of the cash rate, which is ultimately you know, your first um, stopping point, if you like, in an easing cycle, is to take policy away from this restrictive, restrictive setting to something that resembles something uh, more like a, a neutral or a normal cash rate. And just briefly on the labour market before we turn uh, to other key parts of the economy, the unemployment rate has risen already. So it troughed at just a bit below 3.5%. It's now up to 3.9%. We expect the unemployment rate to continue to drift higher. How much does that play into the RBA's thinking? Yeah, look, at, at the moment it hasn't because it's still a very low unemployment rate. Um, but I think once it has a four-handle on, just optically it'll, it'll garner a bit more attention um, a 0.5 percentage increase in the unemployment rate is quite a decent uh, increase. And we, if we get another 0.5 percentage point increase over this year, you're talking about an unemployment rate of around 4.5%, which is w where we've got it forecast for the end of this year. And uh, the RBA's got their end-year unemployment rate forecast at 4.2%. So they're quite a, quite a bit lower than we are. Um, our, our thinking here in terms of the direction of travel of the unemployment rate, the level it gets to and the RBA's response to it, is that once the unemployment rate is up to around four and a quarter percent, where we think uh, the NARU is and where the Commonwealth government uh, 
thinks full employment is, then the Reserve Bank puts more weight on what's happening with unemployment and then overlays that with uh, how inflation is travelling. And we think the combination of disinflation in the data coupled with rising unemployment, um, that means once you get to a level of around four and a quarter percent, it's about time to cut the cash rate because you know that even once you start um, moving rates lower, the jobless rate will continue to, to go up for a little while given it lags uh, economic activity. And our thinking then on in terms of inflation, and I'll let um, Stephen Wu talk, talk more about this, but basically that the Reserve Bank doesn't need to wait for inflation to be back in the target band mm. to take policy away from its restrictive setting given an annual rate of inflation is picking up what happened 12 months ago. And we know that in the September quarter last year, inflation on the core measure increased by 1.2% on the quarter, and that's stuck in the numbers until we get to the September of quarter, quarter of this year. So it'll be hard for the RBA to actually get inflation back into the target band this year, mm. this calendar year. But provided we're seeing some numbers in terms of quarterly rates of 0.7, on the core and in unemployment's rising, that's about the time when you should be cutting the cash rate. So you've explained our central scenario, economy slowing, unemployment rate rising, inflation to, con- to continue to cool. Where are the risks going to come from? And there's always risks out there. We can't always predict some of them. But there are some pretty obvious ones this year. I'm going to nominate fiscal policy as mm. one of them. What are some of the key risks on our agenda? Well, as we record this, and so for anyone listening, it's the 24th of January, so Wednesday the 24th, um, we've got a known unknown, if you like, out there in terms of fiscal policy, which is uh, lots in the press around the government changing uh, or modifying the already legislated Mm. uh, stage three tax cuts, and that has the potential to shift uh, our our outlook for the economy, maybe not so much radically, but in terms of um, potential spending and inflation. Um, so we're kind of speculating on what those changes may look like. We had already factored in the already legislated stage three tax cuts into our economic forecast and by extension the call on the Reserve Bank, but we did highlight that a risk was any changes to fiscal policy and a change in stage three tax cuts is a, a change in fiscal policy. So we'll have to wait and see there. You know, the, the reports in the media suggest that the dollar value of the tax cuts will stay broadly similar, but the distribution will change, and that's probably not enough to uh, shift the outlook for inflation in any, any material sense. But you know, it just does highlight that fiscal policy can uh, shift the dial on the economic outlook, and we've got to pay attention to that space. And I think that's the key domestic uncertainty for us. And then there's a whole range of factors offshore that, um, that could change the economic outlook. And population growth, weaker consumers probably in there as well, but we'll uh, maybe save that for another day. I'm going to let you have a rest. You're going to take over hosting duties for me very shortly. Uh, But Steve, I'm going to turn the attention to you and I guess the prices side of the economy. So when we think about uh, inflation, inflation fell quite a bit over the course of 2023, down 4.1 percentage points from its peak in December 2022. Next week, we get the all-important Q4 23 inflation numbers. How are you looking at inflation at the moment? Obviously, as I said, it did fall quite a bit last year. 
Yeah, that's right. So I think it's worth just thinking about what happened in 2023 first in terms of the pace of disinflation. And as you mentioned, we did see a very large decline in inflation uh, from 8.4 in December 2022 to 4.3 in November of 2023 based on the monthly CPI indicator. Uh, So we do expect uh, when we get the Q4 numbers uh, next week to show uh, inflation uh, rose by 0.8% uh, in the quarter, in the fourth quarter of last year, uh, on a headline basis and 0.9% in the quarter on a trim mean basis. So we are certainly seeing, uh, you know, the Q3 number was like a temporary uh, pop yep. related to the uh, large increase in award and minimum wages that was handed down by the Fairway Commission. Uh, and we do see then that that's going to fade um, uh, as we go through the rest of the um, this year. So we do expect to see uh, continued disinflation on the goods side of things. So we do know that uh, supply chain disruptions are dissipating, uh, at least those relative related to the pandemic. We also are seeing continued easing in goods demand globally and also domestically. And finally, as well, deflation out of China should also help to support our goods disinflation. Uh, the services side is probably a little bit stickier and something the RBA has highlighted as a, as a cause of concern. We think that will come down uh, over 2024, uh, albeit not as quickly as, as uh, goods inflation has. Uh, but we do see that uh, uh, softening as the overall economy does uh, kind of slow. Uh, so when we look at our sort of models of inflation, that does point to a pretty rapid uh, pace of disinflation this year, primarily driven by you know increasing spare capacity in the economy. Uh, but we do know that within the basket, within the CPI basket, there are a couple of things that might be a little bit stickier, uh, namely those around the housing component, so rents as well as dwelling construction costs, probably the two key ones to, to look out for this year. Uh, so we think those will support inflation a little bit higher than what our models would be suggesting, but we still see a pretty quick uh, decline in inflation. So uh, by year end uh, this year, we do expect uh, to see inflation uh, on a headline basis at 3%, so right at the top of the RBA's inflation band, uh, and that would be much quicker uh, return of inflation to target than what the RBA is currently expecting, which is uh, 3.5% as of their November SMP. The RBA, particularly uh, Governor Bullock at the tail end of 2023, kind of focused a lot on those domestically demand-driven components of inflation. I think she called out, was it hairdressing, insurance, and I know I'm missing one, maybe eating out. So we do have a quicker fall than the Reserve Bank uh, down. A, A lot of that probably comes down from the weakness we're expecting in the consumer as well. How important do you think is that Q4 inflation print we get out next week for the outlook? Yeah, I think it's quite important for the near-term outlook. Uh, as Gareth mentioned uh, earlier, you know we are expecting uh, inflation to to come down more quickly than the RBA is currently anticipating, uh, and we think uh, an outcome for the December quarter last year that's in line or below our forecasts uh, would mean the RBA on hold in February and on hold until the first cut comes through in September. So I think um, that's going to be very important to watch. Uh, it is probably the single most important mm. data point between now uh, and the February meeting, but also worth flagging as well. You know, we do get December retail trade as well. So there are a few things here that could sort of shift the dial a little bit, but primarily the inflation outlook uh, will be um, very heavily dependent as well on what happens or what happened in the fourth quarter of last year. 
also important, but probably less, I think at the moment, a clear focus for the RBA's wages growth. So we know wages growth has accelerated uh, in the third quarter, the September quarter of 2023. We saw wage the wage price index rise to 4%. That was kind of the, the largest we've seen in the history of this series, which goes back uh, to the mid-1990s. But we do think wages growth has peaked. Yep, that's right. So... Um, wages growth, I think, over this period has been slower to pick up than um, most were anticipating. Uh, for us, though, uh, we are quite lucky at CBA because we do get very good internal data. So we can uh, look at, in an aggregate sense, our wages being paid to CBA bank accounts. That's given us a very good steer over the last couple of years in terms of where wages growth uh, is heading. Uh, and so we do think that wages growth peaked at the end of last year uh, at about 4.1%. Mm. Uh, and that means a quarterly outcome in December last year of 0.9%. Um, so our wages tracker, based on our internal data, is pointing to our wages growth having kind of peaked at that level. Uh, but even if we look at uh, in terms of wages growth by wage setting mechanism, mm. we are seeing that softness occur. So in particular, if you look at wages growth uh, but, uh, for those on individual agreements, that's part of plateaued since about Q1 of 2023. Uh, uh, what we have seen, though, is that the pickup in wages growth from enterprise bargaining agreements and also from uh, the increase in the award wages really driving wages growth over 2023. And we expect that to kind of moderate over this year. All right, Steve, thank you. I'm going to pass over to Gareth now to take over. Yeah, the shoe's on the other yeah. foot. Um, look, we, we might go from one, I would say, good news story, which is the wages picture, because I think, you know, as much as we've been talking about a slowing economy and some weakness in consumer, it is good to actually see some nominal wage growth finally coming through. And um, ultimately, if wages settle somewhere around 35 to 4%, that'll be a pretty good outcome uh, to have achieved through this cycle. One of the other good news stories through the last year has been business investment mm. uh, after years when... Uh, particularly pre-pandemic when business investment, non-mining investment was pretty weak as a share of the economy. Belinda, do you think you can just give us a wrap of what happened uh, last year on the, the business investment front? Well, it was strong, uh, both in terms of plan equipment and other buildings and structures. We did see quite a strong lift in business investment and now we've only got data till September 2023, but we did see a, list, a lift of 7.6%. And in terms of the outlook, one of the, the best ways that we can, uh, you know, forecast the outlook for business investment is the CapEx survey. So businesses do get asked about their investment plans over the next financial year and they do continue to look a little bit stronger. Uh, so on our estimates, it could be as much as $180 billion of private business investment in 23-24 and that would mean a lift of around 9%. Uh, for the FY24 financial year. Now, I would say a lot of this is kind of catch up. We did see that very soft business investment uh, cycle kind of through the, the mid-2010s and it was really only kind of through the course of the pandemic that we did start to see a real lift uh, from businesses to really expand their productive capacity. Now, that's a really positive thing. The issue at the moment, though, is we have a lot of work from both private businesses in terms of expanding their capacity, but also a large public investment pipeline as well. So it is something we've been talking about a lot. This is adding to economic growth 
in the economy and we do expect that to continue over 2024 when we look at all the state budgets, their mid-year budget updates that were uh, announced in before Christmas, uh, we actually still see a lot of the state governments in particular expand their infrastructure pipelines. Yeah, it's certainly one that's getting a lot of coverage. Uh, even just last week, the IMF was opining on our, yep. our big um, government capex programs. Um, but of course, the states need to deliver a lot of this stuff because population growth is is so strong, um, and each state individually is reluctant to actually shell projects that have already been announced. So. Uh, it's definitely a space to watch this year. And um, for anyone who's on our distribution list, there's, there's quite a few notes that Belinda has written uh, on the outlook for, mm. for pub- public CapEx over the past uh, six to 12 months. I was going to think of a segue to go from public <laughs> CapEx to home prices, but I haven't quite got one, in my, one in my mind, albeit that um, you know home prices were growth was, was actually pretty strong last mm. year. Um, so there's your similarity. Investment was strong as well. Um, but I think it's fair to say that the, the lift in home prices, which kicked in around April of last year, caught us and pretty much all analysts uh, that were covering house prices um, by surprise at the time. Yep. Um, before we get into the outlook for this year, can you talk a little bit about what happened last year uh, and in particular you know, how it turned out to be the case that home prices were rising even though the Reserve Bank was still increasing rates? It's a very unusual uh, situation. Uh, as you said, I think we spent probably the first four to five months of last year kind of looking at the data and being quite surprised that we are seeing lifts in monthly home prices at a time when the Reserve Bank was still lifting interest rates. And we have to remember the RBA lifted the cash rate five times mm. last year, yet home prices rose by a total of 9.3% over the calendar year. So it really comes down to supply and demand. As a lot of things do in economics, uh, we had very short supply on the market, so low advertised stock levels. And also, as Harry, and I don't want to uh, steal his thunder shortly, but we haven't had anywhere near as much housing construction as we've needed. So that's meant low rental vacancy rates, big demands for existing home prices and that lifted home prices uh, across Australia. If you look at every state, although there was some divergence, we did see quite strong gains uh, across the year in every capital city, as we said, despite the RBA uh, lifting interest rates over the course uh, of 2023. Yeah, and probably also a little bit of bank and mama data at work there, albeit we don't have a lot of visibility on that data and um, some of the surveys suggest that foreign buyers have been more active mm. too uh, more recently. Okay, so with all that in mind and the expectation that the RBA's got the cash rate on hold uh, for the first half of this year before some rate cuts uh, later on, um, what is your thinking in terms of where home prices uh, go this year and will we get some divergence by Capital City? Yeah, so we have spent some time uh, looking at this and we did see those very strong gains uh, across 2023. So we do think there'll be some growing housing affordability constraints as we look into 2024. Uh, if we look at housing affordability by state, Sydney's obviously the most stretched at the moment. Uh, and I would say Adelaide and Brisbane have caught up quite quickly to Melbourne. So we do expect continued gains in home prices, but just at a more moderate pace. So what we've seen in terms of uh, supply coming onto the market, that has certainly picked up. There's signs that sentiment uh, has drifted a little bit lower as well. We can look at that a number of ways. Auction clearance rates came off uh, late 2023. 
sentiment indexes also have weakened as well. So overall, we do expect across the eight capital cities, home prices to rise by 5% uh, over the course of 2024. Although we are expecting pretty small gains over, I would say, the first six to nine months of the year, just because we are at the peak of the cash rate, we have had very strong growth. But we are anticipating once the RBA start, does start to cut the cash rate uh, in September, which is our current forecast, for home price gains to actually accelerate into year end. So a bit of a tale of two halves, if you like, and very much uh, divergent by uh, capital city as well. So we have Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth are rising well above the national rate at between 8 to 9% over calendar year 2024 and Sydney, Melbourne to record more modest growth of 3% for Sydney and 2% for Melbourne. Yeah, so reading between the lines there, I mean, these numbers basically imply that the the markets that are considered the more affordable ones um, will achieve stronger prices growth through this year, while those that are coming up as being least affordable um, on basic kind of affordability metrics are the ones that are likely to experience the the smallest growth. And I think the point you make too about it being a tale of two halves is an important one because you know, we could easily get to the middle of this year mm. and it look like our home price forecasts are not on track uh, if we're travelling below what it what would be a, a kind of linear rate to yeah. get you at 5% through the year. But if home prices are really to pick up a bit more swiftly as the RBA is taking the cash rate lower, then we could expect that a uh, little bit more growth in the back end of this year. Um, as you mentioned, it's a very much a tale of supply and demand when it comes to home prices. And if we look at the p- supply side now, uh, I'll bring in Harry, who's done plenty of work uh, on the outlook for residential construction. Um, now, before we get to the outlook for 2024, it's probably helpful to, to Harry, if you take us through you know, what happened last year in terms of uh, new building uh, and how that fits in with vacancy rates across the country and, uh, and the number of dwellings that we've actually been building. Yeah, thanks, Gareth. So it's been uh, definitely a hot topic this year, the supply of housing. I think the, the housing shortage that, you know, has become a lot more acute the last few years um, has, been, has been well documented. Uh, the rental market has been a, a lens through which it's been looked at quite closely. So what we've seen is, um, you know, for a long period of time now, we're not building enough. Uh, and then that was met this year uh, with last year now with really strong population growth uh, and that meant that vacancy rates really fell Uh, and what happens when vacancy rates are low is that landlords have the ability then to raise their rents in in what is a tight market Uh, and we saw uh, really strong domestic uh, inflation for rents throughout the year. Uh, In terms of uh, the activity uh, numbers in 2023 they were were very soft for both approvals and commencements Uh, So, you know, we saw the impact of higher rates, uh, issues in the construction sector really uh, constrain the level of building activity. Uh, So having a look at the numbers, um, we're we're looking at around 164,000, which was was close to our forecast from last year uh, for building commencements uh, in 2023. Um, So that's around a decade low, so so pretty soft numbers. Going back to what I was saying before, really well documented the shortage that we've had and, and the low numbers, and, and that triggered the government to uh, come out with a target of uh, 1.2 million dwellings completed over the next five years. Uh, so that amounts to 240,000 dwellings a year. So at 164,000 for 2023, we're, we're quite short of that. Uh, so it's definitely an ambitious target. Um, looking forward uh, to, to next year, uh, we're seeing a little bit more uh, growth in, in commencements. 
uh, with the RBA not hiking as aggressively and then uh, easing at the end of 2024 uh, in the September quarter. Uh, so that should stimulate some demand. But th this uh, process operates with a lag uh, from the RBA moving uh, to approvals picking up uh, and then to commencements. So we're looking at around 170,000 is our forecast for 2024 uh, in terms of uh, building starts. So again, that's well below the government's target, still around decade lows. Uh, so we're not seeing any major recovery in the short term. Uh, sure, so I might just jump in there yep. because you mentioned the government and their and their um, their targets, and then we've also got the government's forecasts um, that are published in the budget and the mid-year economic and fiscal outlook. Now, if I'm right, the numbers that were in the MyEFO for residential construction published by the government were quite a bit softer than than our forecasts. Um, could you perhaps explain where you think that discrepancy is coming from and how it is that even though the approvals data has been relatively soft, we're expecting residential construction to actually grow a little bit through the course of this year? Yeah, sure. So it's been quite an unusual cycle in many ways because uh, dwelling investment has come off. Um, and that's, you know, that, that is expected given the, the reduction in approvals and commencements that we've seen. Uh, but it's also been well documented, the issues in the construction industry that we've seen, uh, shortages in materials early in the pandemic, and then really acute labour shortages as well, uh, have caused delays, have caused cost increases. Uh, and what's that meant has been there's been a bit of a breakdown uh, between the relationship between uh, commencements and then completions of dwellings. Uh, and that's just evidence of, of these delays in the, in the industry. Uh, and so what we've seen is a big backlog of work to be done in the construction sector really build up. So that's, that's extremely elevated. Uh, and what we're actually seeing now is, despite these really soft numbers in terms of building activity, approvals and commencements, we're actually seeing the value of residential construction work increase at the moment. And that's a really unusual sort of relationship and is indicative of uh, the industry working through those backlogs, that, that really big pipeline of work that there still is to do uh, at the same time that near-term activity numbers are coming down. So we think that'll cushion uh, the dwelling investment numbers going forward. Uh, we think that's probably the discrepancy between uh, some of the softer forecasts out there like the, like the federal government has at the moment. Uh, and we're expecting dwelling investment to actually come in at 1.8% uh, through the year in 2024. Uh, and that's just a function of, you know, despite those, those really weak near-term activity numbers, uh, the industry just, you know, continuing to work through that backlog uh, and keeping dwelling investment uh, chugging along. I think that's helpful, Colin. I, th I think that makes a lot of sense. And so if I was to summarise there, that our view is basically that the value of residential construction will move a little bit higher this year relative to last year. But in a pure numbers sense, we're just not going to be building enough homes to keep up with the growth in population to come anywhere close to what the government has targeted. And therefore, we still end up with these shortages in terms of um, underlying demand versus underlying supply vacancy rates stay low, uh, rents continue to be pretty firm in the CPI, and that all in turn works mm. to, to support home prices. He's uh, saying it's all linked, Gareth. Well, there's a lot of circularity within the economy. So, look, I might pass it back to you, Belinda, just for your sort of conclu uh, concluding thoughts. Um, and I wish everyone all, all the best this year. Yeah, thanks, Gareth. Thank you, Steve, Harry and Gareth. This is our first podcast for 2024. So thank you, everyone, for joining me. Thank you for everyone for listening. And if you'd like to read our full report on the outlook for the Australian economy 
2024. It can be found at combankresearch.com.au and it was published on the 22nd of January 2024. Thank you all for joining me today. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Any reference to the term CBA data means the proprietary data of the bank. As analysis is based on CBA customer transactions, it may not reflect all trends in the market. All customer data used or represented is anonymised before analysis and is used and disclosed in accordance with the bank's privacy policy. Mm -hmm.